0: You are listening to Epic Church San Francisco's podcast. Well, my heart is full this morning. I hope that yours is. I think it's going to be a good time uh, for us. You having fun so far? All right. Well, today we... Half of you, awesome. Uh, Today we conclude uh, something that we believe as a church has been pretty uh, transformational for uh, many in our congregation, but we're concluding our Tell Me Who I Am series, and so... uh, Tim, I don't know if we're going to raffle off this great design work that you've done... Or if we're just going to do Tell Me Who I Am every fall for the next 20 years. Uh, but anyway, we might, we might auction that thing off. Tim, that's, Tim's kind of brainchild, but then we've had other people create this. Um, but seriously, it's been this series for us. We, we've been on this quest to discover who we really are because we've said that you and I look to so many different things, so many different kinds of people to find out who we are. And, and, and we kind of wrap it up today. I'm a little bit sad. I've loved this. I love what's come out of this and our small groups. Uh, the song that Brad wrote, I just told him, "Hey, man, just because we're not going to do that song every week, make sure you bring it back for me every couple months at least." Uh, and so that's that's exciting. Um but, but we've been saying there, there's all of these things we look to to find out who we are. And we introduced this idea of the master principle, which is this, whatever ultimately defines you, uh, that thing or that person or those group of people have ownership of you and you do whatever they demand, right? And so if success is your ultimate thing, that's the thing that defines you, whether it's going to happen or not, then you do whatever success demands. If it's a relationship, if it's a, uh, you know, you want people to have a great image of you and you want to have a great status before people, wh- whatever it is for us, we do whatever Whatever those things demand. But what we've said is that many of us all of us, I think, struggle with this, but many of us, every single day, are looking to things that we shouldn't be looking to to discover who we really are. But we said that when Jesus comes onto the scene, he gives us an alternative. He gives us um, not just an alternative, like one of many options, but he gives us a sure place to find an identity that's not based on how awesome we are. In fact, he gives us this new identity, not because we become more wealthy or less wealthy, right? not because we become uh, more religious or less religious or uh, whatever the case, more successful. successful. That's not what he's doing. He's doing on the merit of his own mercy and grace to let us receive this. So it's a sense going, hey, don't don't work your way up for this. Jesus wants to give us this, and it's ours by faith, which is really an incredible offer. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, let me tell you a couple of reasons why I think you picked a great Sunday to be at Epic. Hopefully every Sunday this is true, but number one is this. We're going to talk I want you to eavesdrop on the conversation we're about to have as a church, because I want you to see what could be your potential, what, what could become reality for you. And, and then secondly, everything I'm going to say from this point forward, challenge-wise, is going to be for those in the room who claim to follow Jesus. So the rest of you are off the hook, okay? The, you can just make fun of them, uh, point like point at them. They're like, there's no way you're gonna be able to do this. And um, but But I want to give that caveat. I, I think it would be worth, even if you're like not even interested in following Jesus, some cute girl got you here, uh, some handsome guy got you here, or you're hoping that you'll leave with them at least, right? Um, you can start pointing them out. I know a lot of them, so uh, there is a broker fee involved if I get involved in that situation. Um, but, but I hope this will be meaningful for every one of us. And uh, and our text for this morning is 1 Peter chapter 2. If you need a Bible to follow along, just raise your hand. We'd love to just gift you one this morning. Keep your hands up high. We've got some at the front, both sides. And as you receive those Bibles, we're on page 657 for the rest of us. First Peter chapter 2, it's um, towards the back end of the New Testament. Peter wrote a couple of letters, and we're looking at the first one that he wrote. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, is where we'll pick that up. Everybody ready for Thanksgiving? Yes, I've got a confession to make. I'm going to confess a lot of things this morning. But one of the things I want to confess to all of you guys is that I really don't enjoy the holiday meals. Yeah, and you don't really enjoy it as much as you think you do. Here's why I know. If it was as awesome as you proclaim on your Facebook and Twitter status and face-to-face, you would eat it more than twice a year. I'm just saying. First Peter, true? Some of us do. Some of us do. That's awesome. That's great. Hey, would you guys stand with me? First Peter chapter 2. We'll start in verse 9. I, I really have come around, but it's kind of like, you know how you have, it's kind of been my calling card all of my life. Uh, I'll never forget one time when um, my dad and I were both kind of ill. And we couldn't travel with the rest of the family for Thanksgiving. And so we got to go to the one restaurant that was open, steak and shrimp. It was, uh, it was good. So I've been sick ever since every Thanksgiving, uh, looking for a way out. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Peter wrote a couple of letters that we have in the Bible, which is really cool. Uh, this guy was a cl- one of the closest disciples of Jesus, a guy who was... Um, just his life was turned upside down post resurrection of Jesus, and he began to lead the church and, and he's writing, he's writing this letter to a group of churches. So lots of Christians who are being persecuted. So they're not, as you hear this, know that they're not sitting in their lazy boy, um, just knitting while they uh, while, while, while this word is being written to them. They're they're facing persecution. They've been scattered. They can't worship Jesus freely, and that's the kind of people he's writing this to. Let's hear this, First Peter two nine through twelve. <clears throat> Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You may have a seat. Really two aims for me this morning and really out of this text, two aims. One is to... Just recognize what our new identity um, as followers of Jesus is. And the secondly, uh, it's to recognize what is the life that flows out of that new identity. Okay, So what is our new identity? Kind of what we've been talking about a lot, just kind of in in summary perhaps with this word from Peter. And then what does a life with this new identity look like when it's fleshed out? What life flows out of the new identity? So that's the two things really. If we accomplish those two things, I will be glad and I think we will have accomplished our mission. Of course, living out these two things is quite Different. So, Peter begins in in this part of the text in verse nine, really just calling out the new identity of the people who were living in the first century, who had had their lives transformed because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of what Jesus did by His resurrection from the dead. And so, remember, he's writing to persecuted Christians. Okay, uh, he's writing to people um, who are scattered, and, and he's 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 wanting to give them uh, some reminders, and, and and he uses language what we know from the Old Testament. And so, um, for for Jews in the first century and, and Jews today, um, knowing the Hebrew scriptures is huge. And so what we know in our Bibles in the Old Testament as the first five books of the Old Testament, it's referred to as the Torah. And so you've got Genesis, Exodus, on and on and on. And so Peter is is bringing up language from those um, portions of the Old Testament when he says you 're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation here 's what happened how this whole thing began with 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 God uh, and, and Israel or God and the Jews God uh, is a, is a God who chooses to have a covenant covenantal relationship with the Jews, and and they have this relationship, and God makes these promises, and and uh, the, the the people of Israel, um, they would follow God for a while, and then they would kind of bail out on him and follow something else. It doesn't sound familiar in our lives, I know, right? I mean, we're pretty, we're awesomely consistent. Um, but these Jews, back in the day, uh, they um, they would follow God for a while, and so God would just be like, all right, I'm just kind of, kind of, if you can picture, almost like throw his hands up and be like, all right, if you don't want this, if you're not... And on the covenantal relationship, then I'm kind of out. I'm going to let you do your own thing. But then God, like he does, he just keeps coming back. He remembers that even when they are faithless, he is faithful. He continues to come back to them. And God would say things like what Peter is calling these first century people. God would say this about the people of Israel. Like, you are going to be my people. You're, you're, this, you're this chosen race. And so what Peter's trying to help people do and what he's trying to even help us do a couple thousand years later is understand that we have this new identity. We've been chosen by God himself to become someone new. We're this royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then he says at the end of verse 9, or even before you get to the end, he says, a people for his own possession. One principle we've identified throughout the series we've called the master principle, which means this, whatever ultimately defines you, that's who takes ownership of you, and you do whatever your master demands. Does that make sense? So, listen, if if physical beauty is your master, right, uh, like it is mine, um, Really? I'm joking, it's not mine. Uh, If physical beauty is your thing, you don't care what it costs, right? You you don't care what uh, treatments you have to take. You don't care uh, what risks are involved. If it's a surgery type thing, you do it because whatever your master is, you adhere to it. If you're looking to be part of a top 10 list in your industry or in your company or make whatever, if that becomes your master, those things aren't bad. But if it becomes the one thing that you live for, then you do whatever it demands. So what I love here, thinking about the master principle, Peter says, hey, speaking of the master principle, you belong to God incredible remember whatever masters us whatever ultimately defines us that's who we look to for our source of approval validation acceptance value and peter's going hey you feel like you're alone you're scattered throughout all of asia you feel like your church imagine if someone came and said we can no longer worship god as epic what we would then have to do is go hey five of us are going to go to this home and five of us are going to go over here sort of almost like uh, this, our small group system would be what we would do ongoing maybe even make them smaller we'd have to do that and so imagine these christians they've been uh, scattered. They've been persecuted. And Peter just wants you to know, hey, you may feel like you're alone in this. You may feel like you've lost community even. But remember this, not only do you belong somewhere, you belong to God himself incredible reality for these people to latch onto. For us, we're like, oh, we can belong to, the, we can go to this church, we can go to that church, we can go to a small group. But he's telling these Christians who've been dispersed, he's going, hey, remember, even if you feel like you're in isolation, you belong to God. You're part of his possession. Um, and that's an incredible thing. There's so many things that you and I long to belong to, right? I mean, there's this uh, either a stated club or some like unstated club we want to be a part of or some percentage. We want to be a part of the top percent in our schools or in our job. And and, and what he's going to say, hey, even if you feel like you've got nothing to belong to, remember, you've got what's most incredible to belong to. You belong to God. You're part of like his possession. And and the term possession, it's not. He's not trying to go, hey, fill this enslavement like God's your taskmaster or your slave master. He's going, hey, you belong to him. He's given you this new identity, and it's not like he owns you in this negative way. It's like I finally have a place to rest my value. I finally have a sure place to get approval. I finally have validation. Isn't that what we're all looking for? And he's going, hey, in Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, especially, you have this validation, you have this approval, you have this value. And he said, the reason you have this identity, it's not just, look look at verse 9 with me. It's not just so that you might have this approval, but it's so that you might also proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, when we... Talk about this new identity. What we tend to think is, okay, I was pretty good before. Jesus didn't have to do a whole lot for me. I mean, all right, I did have those habits, but you know, he's not like my neighbor who he really had to die for, right? And, and, and we think that sometimes. Like now, Jesus, he really needs you. I sort of need you, like I'm the like I have to take the non-fat version of you, Jesus. But He needs the whole milk version, like He needs all that you can give Him because He's so desperate. And what we don't realize is that we weren't just a little far off, friends. We were living in darkness. God takes us from darkness, puts us into not just light, but puts us into His marvelous light. That's that's available for you if you're not a Christ follower. If you are, that's what has happened. You've not just gotten better. You you've not just gotten more spiritual. You've not just dressed yourself up in a way that God wants to accept you now. God has taken you from death to life, from darkness to light. And it's profound when you consider the reality that exists for those of us who have this new identity in Jesus. And, the, and, he, and he says, listen, he's taken you from, from, from darkness into his marvelous light. Look at verse 10. He's saying, once you were not a people, once you really had no place to belong, but now you're God's people. Isn't that incredible? You see, some people have this idea that Okay, God created every human, so everybody's one of God's children. And in the creative sense, I guess that's true. But in another sense, we all lost that. We all lost that. And what Jesus is coming onto the scene to do is to bring that back together, to restore that. To reconcile that, to bring us into something we could not get on our own. The scriptures are clear. We've all fallen short of the glory of God due to our sinful nature. And yet Jesus comes to rescue, repair, and restore, and reconcile us to God. And he says, once you were not people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you don't understand the the weight of what Peter's saying, is that he's just saying, like for all of us too, he's saying there was a time which you did not sit under mercy. And everybody's like, well, Mercy sounds like a good thing, but, um, but what if I was okay before? No, if you didn't sit under mercy from God, you sat under wrath from God. Now do you see the big picture of mercy? Once you are not under mercy, once you are going to bear the judgment for your sin, once you are going to be declared eternally guilty, once you are going to be declared unrighteous, but when Jesus comes, he brings grace and love and mercy with him, and and now you who used to not have mercy, you now have mercy, which means you're no longer guilty, you're innocent, you're no longer unrighteous, you're righteous, you're no longer one of God's enemies, you're one of his friends. W- which life do you want to live under? The one without the mercy, or the one with mercy? And so in 9 and 10, Peter's just going, hey, remember your identity, you're this... You're something different. And some of us, before we even get into the action part of this, what, what is the life that flows from our identity? Some of you just need to really attach yourself to this reality, right? That you used to not belong to God. You used to be in darkness. You used to be um, uh, excluded from mercy. But God has changed everything. You now belong to him. There's no opportunity for mercy. There's no opportunity to be declared righteous, no matter what you've done or what you haven't done. So that's what he does. And then he's going to give us the last two verses. What is the life that flows from this new identity? Because what we've been saying is we can't work ourselves to God. And so some of us think, well, I want his mercy. I want this new identity, but I would prefer to live the life however I want to live the life. Right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe it would. Maybe it wouldn't. Let me give you a statement just to clarify some things. And then we'll get into what does the life look like flowing from this new identity? Let's look at the statement. About actions. Actions do not create our identity. Meaning you and I don't um, increase our own standard and then God's like, okay, B plus, come on in. Um, Actions do not create our identity. Meaning that we can't do a ton of great religious things and God just to be ultimately pleased. Actions do not create our identity, but they will flow out of the new identity Jesus has given us. Does that make sense? You cannot... You cannot fool yourself to thinking that you can have a new identity and your life will forever look the same. Does that make sense? It's impossible. But some of us fool ourselves. Like, yes, I want what Jesus has to offer, but I don't want to adjust. I don't want to change. Well, you're going to. You're like, what do you mean? Am I going to be forced? No, if this new identity is in you, that is the real you. And eventually, you're going to live a life that, that fits with your identity. Now, we don't do these things so that we can gain this identity or gain the standing or gain the acceptance. We do it because we have it already. Does that make sense? You're, I don't want you to leave uh, this morning and go, oh, I've got to do all these things so, so I can have this tell-me-who-I-am identity thing the church has been talking about. No, you can't get an identity that way. Your identity from Jesus is received, but once it is received, it will lead to a life that looks different than it did before. Perfectly? No at least not for me. If you've got that secret, write a book. But it will begin to line up with, because here's why. Because it's who you really are, right? It's just, it's who you really are. It's just who you are. And so what Peter does is he gets into this action thought for verses 11 and 12. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now that might seem like an interesting statement. You're translation may say aliens, which makes you feel good about yourself, um, all of you that are into that thing. Um, what, he's, what he's saying is that I, I want you to remember that you're an exile, that you're a foreigner, that you're an alien. Alien to what? You're an alien to the old kingdom, right? If your identity has been changed, it's been changed by a new king who's brought you into a new kingdom. Does that make sense? So, so yes, we live on planet earth, but this isn't the kingdom we're part of, we now have this citizenship, Paul would say in Philippians, right? He would say we have our citizenship is in heaven. It's no longer determined by the life we were living before. It's now something very different. We are sojourners. We're exiles to the old kingdom because God has called us to be something new. He's given us a new place to belong. And so here he gives this first action step in verse 11. He's, he's urging them because they're part of something different. He urges them to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Friends, our flesh is simply that part of us that is the sinful nature that, unfortunately, even when we have a new identity, it's still within us. It's that part of us that does things and wants to do things that are contrary to what God wants for us. Okay, everybody understand what the flesh is? So he's saying abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. It doesn't matter what we think about international war in the room. If we're pacifists or activists in the room, um, the, the, the debate is not, is there a war in your soul? There is a war in your soul. And what causes the battle to take place is you have this new identity. You've become someone new. You're becoming someone new, but the flesh is still a part of you. What does your flesh love? Let me show you what my flesh loves. Boom. Anybody else? Really, there's three of you that have this as a weakness. Man, I'm about to condemn some people really quick. Well, the great thing is, if the two of you want to join me on stage, we're going to have a good time while the rest of these people who don't like chocolate bars and can abstain. All right, so I had been doing really well with my diet, like really well. In fact, I hadn't had a fun-sized candy bar three, four, five, six months, and then October 31st came, (laughs) and I happened to have three children who got loaded down for Halloween. And they didn't get loaded down with suckers. I can say no to suckers. Anybody? Like, who, a sucker? Uh, uh. Bubblegum? Uh. Uh, cotton candy? Uh, whatever. Uh, the, the San Francisco uh, vegan Halloween option? Uh, I, I can say no to that. These? No way. No way. In fact, if you guys just give me a second here. Yeah, it's a variety pack. Now, let me be honest with you guys. I had done awesome the last several months. And sometimes we want to lie to ourselves and say the reason that I had done so well with staying away from some fun stuff. If you beg, I might throw some out in a minute. If you beg. We want to think that the reason that we do well with things, we think it's a willpower issue, right? We, we think we, we just need to be more spiritual, right? And you do need to be. We just need to be stronger, and you do need to be. But we think it's a willpower issue. Do you know how many fun-sized candy bars I had in the six months leading up to October 31st? Sad, but true. Zero. It's not a willpower issue. You know what it was for me? A proximity issue. And I didn't just give in one time either. I mean, these are bottom-shelf pantry. Right? My kids would rather have the suckers or the ring pops for whatever reason. Anybody else? Not really. Anybody else? Come on. Who wants some fun bars? Adults are just liars. You're you're right. What are they going to think of me if I don't get it? Fine. We're going to give the people who are actually... Watch your eyes. If there's any babies in the room, cover their heads. Come on. My five-year-old, the first service said, Dad? Are we good? All right, we're going for it. Nice. Good job. All right. I might have more if you guys fall asleep, but here's the deal. Sometimes as Christians, we we want to act like, okay, we, we, we received grace from Jesus. Now we need to pull ourselves up. We need to get ourselves stronger, and we need to be able to go into any environment and be able to succeed. Friends, your flesh loves something, and here's what's amazing. I do not need to let you have the next seven days to figure out what your flesh loves. You know what your flesh loves, right? So here's what I want to do. If you're a follower of Jesus or not, I just want to show you a few things. Here's what Paul said in the first century in his letter to the Romans. He was maybe the most spiritually mature person who, at least that I know of, ever lived. Let me show you what he said in Romans 7, 17 through 20. Listen to this. This is crazy. He said, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Familiar? Next. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Anytime these are close to me, it's over. And this is a funny thing this morning. But you have these things in your life in a serious way. And you continue to pretend, oh, I can be around it. I can be around those people. I can be at that place. Let me give you some questions. Whether you're, uh, even if you're not a Christian, I think these will be helpful for you to think through as as just a person. Let me give you some questions. And I want you guys to think about what your answers are. Don't say them out loud. But just I want you to begin to think about what are these answers for you. Here's the first one. Who are the people you spend an inordinate, inordinate amount of time with that are most likely to tempt you to live outside of the identity Christ has given you? I, I, I'm not saying that you don't need to spend any time with any kind of people. But who are the people, when you spend an inordinate amount of time with them, that the results are always the same, and it's always warring against what Jesus has made you. Who are those people? Some of you are like, Ben, I can't avoid them. I call them family, and I'm headed there this week. Just tell your friends to call you with an emergency. I mean, figure out some way. But seriously, who are the people that when you're always with them? Now, I could tell you, hey, just be strong. Don't let them influence you. But who are those people? Secondly, what are the situations that tend to lead to you not living the life God intends for you? What are the situations that tend to lead to you living a life that God did not intend for you? Third. Where are the environments that typically become the setting for a ton of your regrets in life? Because here's what we do. We just go, no, next time we'll be different. I'm going to get, I'm, I, I spent more time with God this week. I'm going to be able to go into that zone, that ward zone in my heart, and everything's going to be fine. Don't fool yourself. What, what is it for you? Let me give you some more thoughts, some more questions. Uh, is it you being defined by greed? Is it, is it when the opportunity comes your way to make money um, unethically or under the table? Is that, is that a, a temptation for you? And if so, what are you doing to stay away from it when it presents itself? Is there a club somewhere in our city that every time you go to that club, the story always ends the same? And it's happened for the last 99 times. And you're telling yourself, no, I'm going to go this Saturday night at 1 a.m. And and what happened the last 99 times? It's not going to happen tonight. Don't be a fool. Do not be a fool. Business person, when you go on a trip by yourself for business or pleasure, is that your environment? If it is, what are you doing about it? What's your plan? What are the things that when you guys enter into those environments, is there a certain time of night when some of you are are just bored and you're surfing the internet or you're channel surfing and it always leads you to observe things that begin to make you think and live and act and react in ways that war against this new identity? Why is it war? Because God has made you someone new. He's made you someone new. And so we can't just go, God, I want this new identity, but I just want to live. No, you're going, listen, God has put... Um, himself, the Holy Spirit inside of your soul, spirit and the flesh, they're going to battle. And we want to go, no, I'm going I'm to get better. I can still go to that bookstore. I can still be around those people. I can still think about these kinds of things and it not leave. Listen, your flesh is your flesh. And until you and I leave this earth, it's going to still be your flesh. And we don't need to spend 24 hours even today figuring out what is the thing that my flesh loves that I need to abstain from. You already know. You absolutely already know. That's not the question. The question is, will you stay away? Will you stay away? You know what it is. Speaking of that, I mean... (laughs) Abstaining. Will you stay away? In other words, what occasions lead to your deepest regrets? What are the triggers? This is not me going therapist. This is me going gospel. What are the things you know of? You know. Take you away from who you really are. You're like, Ben, no, this is who I really am. No, you're not. Not if you have this new identity. It is not. That will go away one day, right? If you belong and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got the spirit and flesh thing in you. Isn't it beautiful to know that one day that flesh is going to be killed for good? That's not who you really are. If you're a follower of Christ, if Christ has transformed you, if he's given you the new identity, that's who you really are. Can you do things that are contrary? Absolutely. But abstain from those things. Abstain from those things. And then Peter just concludes the passage in verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. For Gentiles, he's not specifically meaning physical Gentiles, like they're actually non-Jewish people, um, he's, he's referring there, essentially, Peter was very pro-Jew, but he's, he's referring there to people who do not know Christ and do not have a new identity and are not followers of Christ. Here's what he's saying. When you're around non-Christians, live in such a way that even when they criticize you, even when they put you down, live in such a way that some of them will eventually glorify God. Here's the way Jesus said it in Matthew five sixteen: In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we have these new identities. Is our life flowing out of that? Does our life look different than anyone else around us? The guys and ladies that you work with, your neighbors, people at the gym, does your life, like, is there anything different? You're part of a new kingdom and it doesn't look different? You're a new you, and it looks like the old you? Really? We're going to fall. As we move forward in our faith, our lives, especially, especially as we do it together. If you're doing this thing alone, you won't make it. I've got friends in this room right now who allow me to live the life God's called me to live. I hope you do. I hope you do. It's available to you. And he says, as they begin to criticize you, keep doing, keep doing the right thing. Uh, isn't it crazy to know that the God who's changed our identity will work through our new identity to change the people around us that we should care about? Isn't that crazy? Like the God who's changed you, he wants to work through that change so that people see him as the great changer. That's, that's what he's made available. Hey, let me just conclude this series by giving you guys, I'm just going to rifle through some thoughts that really are a summary of where we've been the last... Uh, gosh, the last two months. These will be on the screen. Let's just go through them quickly. Here's what we've said from the beginning. We all look to someone or something to tell us who we are and then we live out of that identity. In the beginning, we said, when our lives are defined by what's missing, things can get out of alignment for us really quick. The next one. We we said, many of us buy this lie that if I only had fill in the blank, then I'd have what I've always wanted. How's that going for you? Next, I love this statement that's just become a mantra for our church. Our past does not have to dictate our future. No matter who we've been, we can be someone new because of Christ. Next, when we talked about money, we said, how do you know when you're no longer defined by money? Because you're free to give it away without feeling like someone has taken something from you. That's the way it is with any of our masters. With any of our masters, next. We talked about this big idea of the master principle. here it is. Whatever becomes the primary source of giving us our identity, this always wins over everything else. Think about what Peter said. He said, you are God's possession. You used to not even be a people. Now you're the people of God. You've been given this place to land your identity. You've been given this place to have this solid foundation of reality. And now you need to go and you need to live out of that. And here's my four thoughts for today, just from today's message, not the whole series, just from today. Four quick thoughts. One, go live the life that is yours in Christ. Quit overanalyzing it. It's been given to you. Go live it. Two, don't live this way to get your identity. Live this way because your identity has already been given to you by Jesus. All right? So don't don't go be good today so that you get something in the form of acceptance from God. Go do good things today because you've been accepted by God. Number three, this is probably my soapbox for today. Know your danger spots and stay away. Know your danger spots. Quit lying to yourself. Quit thinking it'll be different next time, right? You know the environment, you know the places, you know the situations, you know the time of day and the time of year. Tell other people what those are. They'll hold you accountable to them. And then fourth, declare God in your words and your deeds. Say it and show it. Let me tell you why neither one on their own is sufficient. If you just talk about how incredible God, it is what God's done for you, but it doesn't show up in your life. Um, you might want to keep your mouth shut. Who cares what you claim if there's no, like I'm observing and there's no difference? And, and here's why you can't just show it and not say it. A lot of good happening in our world today, right? They need to know why the motive is behind the good you're doing. Why are we doing the Hope Project? Yeah, we want to make a difference, but we believe that God has rescued us and we want to be transformative in how we support ministries around the world in our city and in our nation. Well, we conclude, tell me who I am. It's been, uh, it's been meaningful for me. Um, I wish I could say uh, this is the last time I need to revisit the subject personally. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's been something just in my own heart just for me to keep coming back to. Um, I don't know what you're most likely to be identified or defined by in your life, but I pray that you'll keep coming back to the reality that God's big enough to free you from that and he's big enough to give you a stable place to live from. Do you guys pray with me?